My three children are home for a long weekend. They're here because our time together as a family is coming to a certain close. My husband, Pep, is dying of colon cancer. My son, Rylan, suggests we smoke a joint as a kind of rainy fall Saturday afternoon activity. I stare at my son. What kind of responsible mother smokes pot with her kids, even if they are young adults? I think of all the anti-drug posters on display in every classroom in the high school where I teach. The principals and coaches are staring at the camera, daring the viewer to just fuck with me. Not in our house, stamped in bold letters across the bottom of the poster. I wonder what my colleagues would think if they knew of the stash of pot I keep in my bedside drawer. Since Pep was diagnosed, pot has been an escape valve. Have a hit and let's forget. But to smoke pot with my kids? My husband shrugs his shoulders and says, why not? Fuck it, I've got cancer. So instead of passing plates of food, we sit around the kitchen table and pass a joint. Someone brings out the game of taboo. I chuckle at the irony. And because we're so stoned, it, I, I laugh so hard, I don't remember. But I do remember the sound of our laughter as we laughed and guffawed and whooped all our worries away. Hell yes, in my house. Hey there, and welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter. Grit is a weekly podcast about stories, the contemporary personal narrative kind of story and the people that craft and tell them. Now, some weeks, a storyteller will join me here on the podcast, tell one of their stories, and then together we will break it down. Other weeks, we feature stories from our myriad events, and other times we have a conversation. We call it Grit Talks with some of these storytellers about the art and craft of the personal narrative story. This week, we've got the best of the 99 Second Story Slam from this past Sunday. We started the 99 Second Story Slam last August, August of 2020, and it has kept going strong. It's a lot of fun. We've got these amazing 99 Second Stories. They're getting better and better. And we do all of this because we want to feature these tellers and their stories. And also to help you, our listeners, craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True stories, personal stories, grit stories. Check the show notes for upcoming events, including Deja True 3, the Mental Health Happiest Hour, which is an open mic, and Flash, which is a combination of story and improvisation. They're all a lot of fun. We would love to see you at one or more of those events. If you could help us out, take a moment right now. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, pause this scroll down and leave a rating and a review it really helps people find the podcast and it is challenging to get new listeners so we really appreciate your support again today is the best of the 99 second story slam which was actually on halloween you already heard a story from francesca Silver. you will also hear stories from barbara peterson jeff stein Nishama Franklin, Jamie Brickhouse, James Peterson, no relation to Barbara, and one more from Francesca, who was our champion. All right, without further ado, let's dive in. For the last five years, whenever I meditate, I wear a portable 
EEG headband called Amuse, which tracks my brain waves and then sends the data to Amuse app that's located on my phone. Uh, the device trains me to recognize when my brain is in that meditative state by playing lovely little bird chirps. And the app records all session data and it keeps count on the number of days in a row or my streak that I've meditated. And the competitive part of me definitely finds that very motivating. Now I've blown long streaks and I feel the disappointment every time that counter resets to zero because I forgot to meditate because, you know, shit happened. Well, last Friday, shit was happening and I forgot to meditate, breaking an epic 744-day streak. That's 2.04 years. It was my longest ever and I was so pissed. But meditating helps me to observe and just let go of disturbing thoughts. So I focused on my breathing and let the disappointment and frustration I was feeling just be without judgment. And as I did, I, I grokked how meaningless and irrational this like streak keeping obsession of mine was. And my mind slowly and softly settled down into a calm state. And once clarity of mind was restored, I, I realized that I can change the date and time on my phone to be whatever I want it to be. <laughs> And I wanted it to be Friday, October 22nd, and not Saturday, October 23rd. So, streaks unbroken. Namaste! It's Monday morning and I'm meeting with my trainer after a weekend away. I get on the scale and I've gained seven pounds. She's not happy. What happened? I said, I had pizza. She says to me, why did I have pizza? I look her straight in the eye and I say, have you ever had pizza? It's awesome. I thought it was funny. 60 minutes later, full of suicides and burpees. I figured out she didn't. I figured I'd better get my butt in gear. So I start working out the next couple of days. But for some strange reason, it just doesn't want to come off that weight. I'm getting frustrated. And I say to myself, that's it. I'm done. You know what? I'm going to go for pizza. I don't care. And at that moment, a woman walks up to me. Her name's Georgette. She walks up to me and she says, you know, every day on really nasty days, I think to myself, I don't want to come in. And I think about you and you come in every day and work so hard. And I realize that I should come in. Thank you. What Georgette didn't know was that moment helped to inspire me not to have that pizza, not to do the things I was going to do. So I told her that. And she gave me a hug. Put my head down, nose to the grindstone. I didn't lose seven pounds. I lost eight. perched in my tree up over the path at the Renaissance Fair. I was the green witch. I knew I was the green witch. I had been witching all summer long. I had been doing spells for grown-ups, and I had been giving children these wiggly green noodles, and they'd hold out their hand, and I'd say, uh-uh, I have to give it to you, and I'd tuck it in their collar, in their cuffs, in their socks, in their waistband, and it was great until the heckler came along. There's always a heckler. 
You're not a real witch, she bellowed up at me. He was probably drunk on mead. And even though I knew I was a witch by then, it, it hit me like a in the gut. So I, all I could do was turn and face my tree, embrace my tree, bury my face in the rough bark and calm myself down, make sure there were no tear tracks in my green face. And I witched the rest of the summer and it was great. Uh, you know, it was over, but it's not because I'm still the Green Witch and other people know it. I was walking along the street uh, 15 years later, this guy came along, big guy, and he stopped me. He said, are you, were you the, the, the Green Witch? And I said, yes, I was. And he said, when I was a kid, you gave me one of those noodles and I was so scared I peed in my pants. Thank you, Barbara, Jeff, and Nishama. Next up, Jamie, James, and a second story from our champion, Francesca. When my doctor tells me that I'm HIV positive over the phone, he says, but Jamie, these days, it's a manageable condition, like diabetes. He says it in this upbeat, jocular tone as if I just won the lottery, only it's the lottery in that famous Shirley Jackson story where the winner gets stoned to death. Now, this was 2002 when AIDS was no longer a death sentence, but still scary, and it was still weighed down by the shame and stigma of how you got it and who got it, which is too bad because sex for me had always been invigorating, life-affirming, validating, and I discovered at an early age I need a lot of validation. So after that phone call, I headed straight to my gay bar to drown my sorrows. And I downed one, two, three martinis in quick succession. And then the stranger said to me, what's wrong? And the dam burst. In a flood of tears, I told this nameless, faceless stranger that I'm HIV positive, that my life is over, that no one will want to have sex with me again. He said that wasn't true. And to prove it, he took me around the corner and had sex with me. I understood what Blanche Dubois meant about always depending upon the kindness of strangers. I never saw that man again, but I'm forever grateful to him for having sex with me because by doing that, he told me I was going to be okay. He validated me. I recognized him immediately. The yellow skin, the wax-like jowls, the pouty mouth, the yellow hair, and the little Tyrannosaurus Rex hands. Donald Trump was standing in my doorway. It was Halloween. I've lived alone for 10 years. I'm an empty nester. I love Halloween. It's a chance to do a, like a pop culture census to see what superheroes are in vogue, what Disney princess is the most beautiful, uh, sports heroes, villains, monsters. Right in front of me, Donald Trump. I try to figure out, did the boy who chose this costume know that it would terrify the neighborhood? I live in Northwest Evanston. It's reliably Democrat. Or was Trump his hero? 
I offered him candy and the tiny hands took out a double fistful, which I guess answers my question. He left, the next group of kids came up. I looked in my bowl, I said, uh, I'm sorry, I'm almost out of candy, just take one. And then something amazing happened. A boy reached into the thing, reached into his bag of candy, took out a piece of candy and put it in my bowl. I thought there might be hope. summer of 2015, I'm in New York City when on the subway it hits me. My husband is dead. He died six months before, but grief isn't linear. I start to sob, and then I become aware of something completely different. I am incredibly horny. I swear I emanate a kind of feral smell. When I'm not crying to, from, or in between, I'm eyeing fire hydrants. I have a day of not one tear. Donna Summers, I will survive, hums in my head. I hop into an empty taxi and with wild abandon, I say to the driver, can you take me? The driver, he has unbelievable blue eyes, looks at me and says, yeah, I can take you. <laughs> in spite of my total unreliability of what I might do naked, break out into hysterical laughter or choked sobs. I'm thinking about it. And this guy, he can smell my desire. And he begins to tell me in exacting detail just how he would go down. Yes. Okay. No, I mean, shit, Jesus. And now I understand the purpose of safe work because all that will come out of my mouth is sexual innuendo. I struggle for an adult sentence. I'll get out at the next corner, please. You sure, baby? How about if I give you my number in case you change your mind? Yeah. Oh, Okay, what's your name? Rod? 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 I get out of the cab and for the first time in a long time, rather than cry, I laugh all the way home. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And thanks again to our 99-second storytellers and slammers, Barbara, Jeff, Nishama, Jamie, James, and Francesca. Great job. Check the show notes for upcoming events. And again, if you would like to help us out, well, tell folks about this podcast. You can also rate and review it if you listen on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. That is all for episode number 55. Boom.